The person that claims to be in for Jesus but is living in habitual disobedience without any repentance, that person needs to go back and check their salvation. A truly saved, rescued person who's committed to Jesus will seek to obey. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Lord, I pray that our heart's cry will be just that. Father, I pray that nothing else in this life will will claim us and nothing else in this life we will surrender to. Father, I pray that we would be just totally with a reckless abandon, joyfully laying everything on the altar for You today. So Father, as You speak in this time, would You move Would you move in power? Would you open the eyes of the blind? Would you set the captives free? Lord, give us soft hearts today. Not rebellious hearts. Soft hearts, tender hearts. Give us a love for Your Word, for Your truth. Father, help me to decrease right now while You increase. As I yield myself to You, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to You and You alone, my rock and my redeemer. So Holy Spirit, we pray that You would move all over this place. Grab a hold of us today. Move us and shake us for Your glory. And we'll be quick to give you all the praise and all that glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 as you're turning there in the Scriptures. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to be here today. Amen. Uh, we had one uh, first service already, and God moved and stirred in a, in a powerful way, and uh, I'm excited about what He's going to do in this service as well. And so I pray you have your Bible open, your notes uh, from your bulletin in front of you, and, and let's mine the Scriptures together uh, to be renewed by the Word. Here we are in First Peter chapter 2, and the title of the message today is simply this, How Not to Be Put to Shame. How not to be put to shame? Uh, There are so many people in our culture today that are living in shame, that are living in pain, and maybe that's one of you today. Maybe you are living in a life that is just difficult and stressful, and you're living in shame. But the reality is the shame in this life will have nothing to be compared to, to the shame we will face in the next if we don't give our life to Christ. I just read a headline here recently that said this, 3,462 Christians murdered in Nigeria in 2021, the biggest killing ground of Christians in the world. Boy, I thought my 21 was bad, amen? You know, I get upset when the lawnmower won't start. And yet here are these believers who are literally dying for the cause of the gospel. I pray that challenges me and I pray that challenges you. That we are in a battle, we're in a war. And we know this though, that the battle belongs to the Lord, amen? Uh, We know that since He's for us, who can be against us? We know confidently from God's Word that greater is He that's within us than He that's in the world. Therefore, we have a confidence and a hope that nothing in this world could ever bring us. Well, I believe 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 in our study goes deep into this thought. And so, here's what the Word of God says from the ESV translation. Listen closely. For it stands in Scripture, here's the words, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, 
chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him, here it is, church, will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Wait a minute. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Why did they stumble? They stumble because they disobeyed the Word as they were destined to do. When you look in your Bible there for just a moment in verses 4 and 5 as we launch into this text from 6 through 8, you see very clearly there from God's Word that 4 and 5 says this, as you come to Him, as you continually abide in Him, is what that's saying, pursuing Him, Christ, a living stone that was rejected by men, but in the sight of God is chosen and He's precious, He's prized. He says, you yourselves, make it personal, you yourselves like living stones, not dead stones, are being built up as what? A, a spiritual house. Why? To be a holy priesthood, to offer sacrifices that are spiritual, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He winds this up with a beautiful a red bow, so to speak, and he drives deep into this point when he's saying, look, Christ was rejected, you're going to be rejected. It's part of how this thing works. In light of the suffering you're going through, as he's writing to these Jewish and Gentile believers, he reminds them over and over of the glories of Christ. Life is hard. It's discouraging. There's so many days are defeating. I don't know about you, but there's so many days I just want to hit the done button. You're just done, right? You just don't know if you can take another step because there's so much struggle in life. But as I preach truth to myself, as I mind the Scriptures, as I remind myself of the promises of God that they never fail, that they're always true, that we know clearly the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my heart, whom shall I be afraid of? We say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, I know my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer is not dead, but He's fully alive. In the midst of all that you're going through on your horizon today, as you cast your mind to Jesus, as you look to Him and say, Jesus, I'm just all in for Your glory. I believe in You. I believe You came. I believe You died. I believe You conquered the grave. I believe that death no longer has its grip on me, but I'm totally in the arms of my Savior. When you and I begin to believe it, live it, and embrace Embrace it. Watch out what God will do in your life. But it's going to take an intentional focus on this. And Peter here in this Word, as he unpacks these three verses, 6, 7, and 8, he does it like this. When he says there in verse 6, for it stands in Scripture. This is very interesting because I was listening to a sermon here this past week and it encouraged me on one hand, and it discouraged me on the other. On the one hand, the guy preached for almost an hour. I thought that was amazing. Praise Jesus for preachers, amen? But here's where I began to weep. In that length of time, the Bible was not opened once. Not one time was the Bible opened. It was motivational, it was inspiring, but it had nothing to sink my teeth into. That when the Monday mornings of life hit, you need fidelity, you need a bedrock, you need a cornerstone, you need truth that you're so enamored with and so in love with that when, not if, when the bottom falls out of your life, when your life begins to unravel, what will you cling to? Would you cling to substance? Would you cling to the Word of God? Will you remind yourself and bring to mind the Scriptures that are so precious and near and dear to you and I? Peter says here, for it stands. It's solid. It's anchored. It's truth. We will not be swayed. When we stand on Scripture, we make a decision on the front end, not the back end, that we will not bend buckle nor break. 
we just stand tall for the gospel. And here Peter is reminding his reader, he's reminding us, as they were suffering, as you and I perhaps are suffering today, he says, look, forget about Oprah and Dr. Phil and all the other nonsense out there. Stand on the Word of God. In a culture that hates the Word, in a culture that hates Jesus, for the true believer, we love our Savior. We love the Word. It's very interesting that when you look at this and unpack this, that he's quoting here from Isaiah 28, 16, and and he says these words. Look in your Bible there for a moment, ESV again. He says this, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, very key, that's chosen and precious. He repeats that from verse 4. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Now, this is very, very important, church. When you look at that portion there of that text there, verse 6, for it stands in Scripture, it's already settled. It's already settled. This is the Word of God, and we're going to stand on it. No matter what anyone says, no matter who comes against us, by the way, when you stand for Scripture, you'll be lied about, slandered, rejected. People will come against you. But you got to remember this. This is a very important point here that is so critical that wounded people wound people. Broken people break people. Hurting people hurt people. When people are lashing out, when they're trying to dig here and dig there and bring you down, it's because they're hurting. They're trying to do something to lower you down so they can build themselves up. And the struggle with this is that when we start with self, we end with self. When we start with God, we end with God. That's the whole challenge in the fleshly realm. We're in this me monster, me planet, me centered universe that that screams me, me, me. And the Bible just screams a completely different message. The Bible says, Jesus, Jesus, gospel, gospel, glory of God, glory of God. So how do we navigate through that? How do you survive in a world that's pushing meism when we need to push towards the great God of the Bible? How do you do it? Well, you stay in God's Word. You look at this Scripture right here and know, for it stands. When Scripture says this, we stand on it. Because Scripture stands, it will not be moved, we stand on it. Where God speaks in something, we say, thus saith the Lord. Whatever happened, by the way, to thus saith the Lord? We stand on truth. Why? Because we know it's a truth that will set us free. As we submit to the Word of God, as we get under the Word of God, and a whole other illustration of challenge in our culture today, that the rebellion and the defiance pushes against God. No one wants to surrender. Submit, if you will, under the Word of God. It's one that we must, though. Why? Because there it is. He's laying in Zion, verse 6. Zion. It's the church triumphant. It's the city of God. It's the foundation. It's raised up. There's this stone. And very interesting, so Peter, if you go back to the New Testament there early on, you see that Peter is the Petra. He's the, the little stone. On this stone, Jesus says, I will build my church. And yet, in the midst of Peter's struggles, he had some struggles, as you know. He's first one to chop off ears, first one out of the boat. He even rebukes Jesus. Jesus is like, look, i got to go to the cross. i got to suffer. And Peter, you know, tough guy Peter's like, wait a minute, Lord, i got to rebuke you in this. Which, just think through that for a moment. Peter's rebuking Jesus. Just think about that. So what happens? Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why? For you have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. See, we've got to understand that the cornerstone, who is Jesus Himself, is the only cornerstone for your life. For you that are builders or engineers, you know this, that a cornerstone is so pivotal in the building of a structure. It sets the tone for the walls. It sets the tone for the entire structure. And so many people today have a cornerstone other than Jesus Christ in their lives, and no wonder, no wonder their life's in shambles. I know people that profess Jesus on one hand, and they run around inside their house screaming at each other all the day long. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. We profess with Jesus, 
and then we live a, a life contrary to that even inside our own homes. The cornerstone's not there. When Jesus transforms someone, He transforms us. He didn't come to inform us. He came to transform us. And so many times I see this weekly where there's a rebellious spirit. People pushing against and pushing against and I want to undermine. So many times it's who we allow into our lives. You know, who you and I hang out with tells more about you and I than it does about the other person. Uh, it reveals our character. And so many times we allow people into our lives that aren't pushing us towards Jesus. They're not pushing us towards the cornerstone. And the walls of our lives are imploding. I hear it literally every week. I see story after story of family after family that's in shambles. And so many claim this Jesus, but they don't really have this Jesus. Peter here is imploring the reader then who's suffering, and he's imploring the reader us today. He's saying, look, whatever you do, stand on Scripture and build your life on the cornerstone, the only option there is, whose name is Jesus. Why? Well, you look at the verse there. He's chosen. He's selected by God Himself. He's selected, and He's precious. He's prized. Is Jesus today, can you say that Jesus is the most prized possession that you have in your life? Maybe ask it a different way, perhaps something like this. If Jesus was removed from your life, what would you begin to say? If Jesus somehow was removed from your life, would you be like, oh, no, no, take anything but Jesus Take my house and my cars and my bank account and, and whatever. Just, just take it. But all I want is Jesus. Would that be the cry of your heart and the cry of my heart? Is He really prized? Is He really treasured? Is He the air that we breathe? Is He really the great I am in our lives? That's what Peter's getting at here. He's reinforcing, and this is so important, church, when you are in the midst of the valley, when I'm in the midst of the valley, the human tendency is to look for exit ramps. That's what I do. I don't want to go through pain, so how can I get out of here? But maybe God's going, man, I want to keep you in the furnace. I want to refine and prune you, John. I want to make you more like my son Jesus. And the way this happens is I keep you in the furnace to depend on me, to rely on me. It's amazing how much our prayer life increases during the furnaces of life, amen? It's absolutely astounding how God has our attention during the difficulties of life. I believe that's for a reason, intentionally to drive us to our knees, to keep us dependent on Him. We're fleshly, we're weak, we don't typically go towards the cornerstone. We often go to the cornerstone of self, which leads to heartache and despair. So whoever believes in Him, it says there in verse 6, very key point, because you know this by now, not an intellectual belief only, not even an emotional belief. The word believe right here means this, to commit totally to. I mean, that changes the whole narrative in Scripture, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Often we believe, you know, we'll say, uh, hey, you know, I, I believed, I walked an aisle, I got baptized, all good things in and of themselves. But the reality is this, that word believe in John 3.16 is the same word here, and it means the same thing. It means to totally commit your life to. That's what that means. That whosoever commits their lives to, God, my life is no longer my own. All I want is you and your glory. You're chosen and you're precious through your son, Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. And life is hard. It's difficult. I don't understand why you're allowing the pain into my life, God. But I know this. I know with certainty and with confidence in your sovereignty and your providence. I know my Redeemer lives. I know that as I place my faith and trust in Him, that He will make a way where there seems to be no way. And even if He doesn't go my way, I'm still going His way because I totally have given my life to you, Jesus. Think about what that's going to do in your life and my life. Think about what that's going to do in the people's lives around us. 
that watches in the storm. God doesn't usually take us around the storm. He typically carries us through the storm. And Peter's saying, you're going through a storm. You're going through a storm, but hold tight. Don't panic. Don't give up. Focus on what really matters. And it's the cornerstone of Jesus as you believe in Him. Because here's the deal in verse 6. At the very end, it says this. You will never, church, you will never, ever, ever be put to shame. If you have truly given your life to Christ and it's real, not that it's fake, it's real. Not partially in, which means we're totally out, but in, like I'm in. When you do that, you have a promise from God's Word that eternally you will never be humiliated. That's what the word shame means. To be humiliated. To be embarrassed by one's actions might be a definition we could use. When you and I truly give our lives to Christ, you can bank on two things for certain. You're going to be pushed against. You're going to be rejected. And secondly, in the end, as you stand tall on God's Word, on the chief cornerstone, you will never be put to shame. What a glorious, glorious reminder for those who are truly following Christ. That's why key number one, I want you to write this down in your notes. Key number one, write this down, very important. In the midst of being rejected for surrendering my life, make it personal, my life to Christ, and standing firm on the truth of God's Word, eternal humility in the eyes of God, overrides earthly humiliation in the eyes of man. Let me read this one more time. Write this down. In the midst of being rejected for surrendering my life to Christ and standing firm on the truth of God's Word, eternal humility in the eyes of God overrides earthly humiliation in the eyes of man. Think about these two thoughts here. For the true believer that you've given your life to Jesus, and you do that by seeing your sin for what it is. You see, number one, how grievous it is against God. You just see how horrible and awful it is against God. And you see the raw reality of it. And it cuts you to the heart. It cuts you to the core. And you no longer want to walk in that. But as you do that, don't you see that humiliation and humility have a lot in common regarding spelling, don't they? See, there's something about this that when there's humility, and by the way, there will be a marked change and a big production of humility in the true believer's life. I've seen people that really give their life to Christ, not just a profession, just not responding, just not, hey, everyone else is doing it, so I'm going to kind of go along with this. No, I've seen people that have truly given their life to Christ, and you literally see a change in their countenance. Why? It's pretty simple. For the person that's truly given their life to Christ and they're rescued, the Holy Spirit of the living God now lives inside of them. And He begins to illuminate their life. If you're truly saved, you don't want to continue to walk in sin. That's not salvation. Here, Peter reminds us, they will never be put to shame. But you've got to remember, who your audience is. And this is where this gets so dicey in our culture today. So many people are hurting and they're looking for identity and they're looking for hope and security. And there's so much pain and so much woundedness from the past that they're looking for anything to dull that pain and fill that void. And they quickly forget their audience is not man. Their audience is one, the great God of the Bible. And there's great security in that. Think about how freeing it is when you no longer have to impress people. 
Like how freeing it is that you no longer have to work to achieve people's likiness. No, you just, God, you're it. You're all I want in life. Here's my life. Take it and use it. Yes, I know that I'm going to be ridiculed. I know I'm going to be made fun of. I know I'm going to be rejected and slandered and lied about. God, I don't even care. I'm just all in for your glory. Watch God take that life. He will take that life and He will use it beyond your wildest imagination. And yet so many people, even people that profess Christ, there's the reality that they're living for self. And the pain they're enduring and the pain they're inflicting on others is greatly damaging. I mean, we're all running a race, aren't we? Some might call it the rat race, but we're all running a race. The question is, what race are you running? I mean, we're all running a race. You can choose to run the race of Jesus as you follow Him, or you can choose to follow whatever else that this life offers. But church, hear my heart on this, that there are only two paths. The Bible is very clear. There's one that is wide. It's really wide. And many, the Bible says, many are running down it. Many are going in by it. But it leads to destruction. There's another path that it's the narrow way and and few are on that path. There's lots of extra room on the sidewalk on the narrow way. And it leads to life. But here's the reality that if you're going to get on the narrow path, you're going to die to self. You've got to get to the chief cornerstone and say, Jesus, you're just not something to add on to my life. You're not the fuzzy dice around my mirror. You're not my friend with benefits. You're not the cosmic Santa Claus, the genie in the bottle. You're not the spiritual vending machine. No, you are my life. <laughs> that, that's the breakdown here. It's kind of like, you know, raise a hand, say a prayer, do a card, we'll sign a card, get baptized. I'm glad I got Jesus to go along with me and bless my plans. That's not salvation. Salvation is my life is no longer my own. Just take my life. That's where true joy and contentment is. And yet so many people are struggling, sitting in the presence of the Lord, Bible in hand, heart and mind wide open. The noise of the world, the noise of self is all blocked out. And we just want to commune with the Father. Vertical communion, vertical obedience, vertical transformation. That's the life worth living. Paul says it like this in Galatians 1, chapter 10, supporting verses. He says this, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Very, very key here that that if you today are trying to please man... This is not a good sign. For the true believer, you understand wholeheartedly who your audience is. And all you want to do is please the Father. Acts 5 says it like this. The disciples are are being persecuted. They're being rejected as they stand on the chief cornerstone, Jesus. And and Acts 5, verse 40 through 42, listen closely to these words as we stand together on God's written word right now. Here's what the word says. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Now they're preaching the gospel. They've said, look, you can't be doing this. Peter already told them in 529, "Uh, let me think about this. Uh, Okay, here we go. We're going to obey God rather than you. (laughs) We're going to obey God rather than you. That's our answer. So here they are in verse 40. They're beating them. They're charging them. And they said, don't speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. Then they, then the apostles, left the presence of the council. Here it is. How did they leave? Heads down, kicking the dirt. Eeyore complex. Is that what they were doing? No. Rejoicing. Do you see this? Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor or shame for the name. You talk about an amazing verse. They're beaten, they're rejected, they're ridiculed, they're slandered, and their response is, praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. 
We count it worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's a life that's transformed. And by the way, look at the end of that text there, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. See, when a person radically gets rocked by the supernatural power of the rescue of the cross and the empty tomb, they not only see their salvation, but they now begin to see with clear lenses the dire and urgent need to get the gospel out to save others. And the disciples, here they are, and they're beaten, but they're on the chief cornerstone. They're standing tall. They're rejoicing. And they're like, you know what? We're not listening to these guys. We're taking the gospel to the streets because it's the hope of our world. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Think about this, church. Think about the dire need for the gospel here in Chester. Think about the dire need for the gospel in your neighborhood. Picture right now your neighbors. Picture them. In front of you, to the right, to the left, behind. Picture them. Got them? Wouldn't that be amazing if from this church and both of our services that we launched a mobilization of missionaries all over Chester? Can you imagine we launched this mobilization of missionaries to go out? And as you're picturing right now, in front, behind, and the right and the left, that you're going to own the lostness on that street in that neighborhood. I'm going to own the lostness. Oh, I can't save anybody, but I can certainly control what I do, and I'm going to do everything I can to gospel everyone around me. Can you imagine what would happen? Owning that lostness, declaring not on my watch, well, if those people in front of me and behind me and to the right and the left, if they go to a godless hell, it's not because I didn't get the gospel to them. Can you imagine what would happen? The transformation in marriages. The transformation of, of child to parent and no longer the discord. Can you imagine what happened at the workplace? Can you imagine what happened there on the ball field? Can you imagine what happened down at the church house? As we go out and begin to no longer talk about the mission, but we decide with intentional urgency and desperation to go live the mission. That's what we see here from those who believe in Christ. And they know with confidence they will never be eternally put to shame. It takes all the pressure off. We're not trying to close the deal. It's just spreading the gospel. And the Holy Spirit work in that heart. Work in that neighbor's heart right now as you go spread the gospel. Prepare the heart. Cultivate the soil. Remove blinders and scales. Oh, God, we pray even right now as we think about these neighbors. God, will you set the captives free? That's our prayer. Because Mark tells it like this, chapter 8, 34 through 38. Listen closely. Another great warning. Mark 8, 34-38, and calling the crowd to Him with His disciples. So this is interesting. See, Jesus had a totally different strategy of church growth, didn't He? So He calls all the disciples to Himself, and He doesn't look at them and go, hey, what are you not getting that you'd really like? He doesn't say, hey, can we sing a different song that might help you? What do you want us to talk about? No, what does He do? Look what he says here. This is bold. He gathers them all to himself. All to himself. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, and the gospels will save it. Then he throws down. He comes off the top rope here in verse 36. 
For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Here's the key about being ashamed. Listen closely, church. For whoever is ashamed, embarrassed, humiliated of me, Jesus says, and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, here's the promise. Of him will the Son of Man, Jesus, also be embarrassed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Wow. Oh, wow. See, what's so beautiful is that when you've really given your life to Christ, and it's true, it's not phony baloney, but it's real, there's a boldness that just begins to sweep over you. Why? Because the Holy Spirit indwells you, and He gives you courage. He stiffens your spine with spiritual titanium. Well, you are now willing to go and do whatever you need to do. And whatever happens, whatever pushback, you just simply keep following Jesus. That's what happens to the true believer as they follow Christ. Look at verse 7 here, 1 Peter chapter 2. So the honor is for those or for you who believe, but for those who do not believe... The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So did you catch this? So Peter makes this statement, and he does this so often. As you study verse by verse as we're doing, word by word as we're doing, he makes a statement, and then often he now drills down deeper. So he makes this statement in verse 6, and now he goes deeper under the surface. He says, look, wait a minute. This honor, this esteeming, this preciousness is for you who believe. For you who commit your lives to, not just intellectually, not just emotionally. James tells us even the demons believe and tremble. So if all we do today is simply believe intellectually, we are now on par with demons. If we take it to the second extreme and go, wait a minute, okay, get your point. I see that in Scripture. Good point. Okay, we get emotional about it. So we intellectually believe and we show some emotion. We're now still on par with the demons. They're trembling. This is the breakdown in the American church on this word believe. It means from Scripture to give your life away. That's what it means. To surrender. When I'm talking with people and the we're sharing about the Lord and you know, hey, they go to this church or whatever and doing some witnessing. I don't ask when they accepted Jesus. I ask, when did you give your life to Him? Now, typically, that begins to have a glassy-eyed look, right? Because that's a big difference between accepting Jesus. No, when did you give your life to Him? What do you mean? Well, you know, the Bible right here, the Bible says this, you know, that we've got to give our lives away. We die daily. We crucify the flesh. It's no longer I but Christ. Any idea what I'm talking about here? And there's just no clue. Why? Because we've been, we've been sold this bill of goods that you just do this external thing and no life transformation. Just kind of, we got Jesus fire insurance and then let's keep behaving like we are. That's not salvation, that's insanity. True salvation is your life gets radically transformed. That's what it means. It means to be rescued. The word saved, when you use that word saved, it actually means to get rescued. So when you get rescued and someone rescues you, how do you typically treat the person that rescued you? And if you're drowning in the ocean, I pray that doesn't happen to anyone, but let's say that it's happening to someone and they get rescued. How do they feel from that moment forward of landing back on the beach towards that person that rescued them? Well, they're going to be indebted, aren't they? There's going to be gratitude and just a professing of thankfulness and gratefulness. And I can't believe you risked your life to save me and on and on. And, and yet we have the greatest rescue ever. So often we just treat Jesus like leftover potatoes in the corner. 
It's so important that we understand what it means to truly believe. Once we get that cornerstone buttoned up, everything is an outflow. And once you understand that when you say, I believe in Jesus, whether you mean it or not, you are saying, I'm committing my life forever to Him, no matter what the cost. This is so critical as we think through this because the honor who believe, but for those who do not believe, okay, there's a warning here. Wait a minute, did you catch this? So, so there's, there's good news here. For those who believe, great news, right? We'll never be put to shame. It's just awesome. It's amazing. It's glorious. But, but wait a minute, for those who do not believe, there's a warning here for those who do not believe, for those who do not commit their life to Jesus. They don't surrender to Him. It's all a show. It's a sham. It's charade. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So here's key number two. I want you to write this down. Key number two. Here it is. Honor from the Lord, this is so key, honor from the Lord awaits those who truly give their lives to Christ. Honor. Honor. Honor awaits you. If you're really in, and it's true and it's real, oh, I just want to encourage you. I want to speak to you today. If you're really in, and it's real, and you're suffering, because we know you will, The Bible even says that those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. For you that are, honor awaits you. Like no matter what this earth could have brought you, nothing will compare to the honor that's going to be revealed. This honor awaits you being highly esteemed. Well, how do we get there on this? Well, we'll write down 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 19 through 20. And here's what Paul writes to that church in Corinth that was so jacked up. He writes these words. He says this as he, he pleads with, with a sternness. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought, don't miss this church, with a price. So glorify God in your body. For the true believer, your life, your body, everything is just no longer your own. Your schedule, you're like, here, Lord, I'm pushing it all in the middle of the table. I'm I'm shoving back from the table. You take it and do whatever you want with it because it's no longer mine. So many people profess Jesus, and yet they're hanging on to everything. (laughs) It's like, love Jesus. Wait a minute. That's my calendar. I love Jesus. Wait a minute. That's my house and car. And Jesus goes, wait a minute. This is not how this works. He goes, if you really are in for me, if you really want to leave a legacy, if you really want to live to be missed, if you really want to make a difference in this life, you just give everything to me and then watch me work. I love that thought there in 1 Corinthians. You are not your own. You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. The most precious blood that has ever been shed was shed on Calvary. Jesus Christ, He was born of a virgin. and He came to this life and He lived a life that was sinless. He never sinned once. He was disowned by people, the religious leaders, even His own family. He continues to soldier on in the battle. He's a carpenter. He's bivocational. And as he's, he's living this life there, a very simple life, the people begin to hate him more and more. And he selects these 12 ragtag bunch of guys. <laughs> One's the devil, Judas. And he pours into them. And they don't get it. You can only imagine what would go on as you're ministering and ministering and ministering. And, and he's living this life and he goes and he's falsely tried and falsely executed and he's scourged and he's whipped and he's beaten and he's marred beyond recognition. He's tortured. The brutality of the love as that blood ran red. And he's executed on a cross as they, they stretch him wide and they hang him high. The most precious blood that's ever been shed it's for you and for me. When he goes into a grave, 
And on that third day, the grave could not hold my king. On that third day, I believe he came running out of that grave. As the song says, he came running out of that grave with my victory in hand. Death was arrested, and that's when my life began. Amen? That's what Jesus did as he shed his blood. The greatest gift ever given was his blood that was shed. So what do we do? How do we move through this? We, we get this perfectly. We're embracing it. We're on the chief cornerstone. We know that those who don't believe, it's not good. But for those of us who are due and it's real and it's true, we've given our lives away. We're not going to be ashamed. Honor awaits us. It gets us through the struggles of life and the difficulties that maybe you're in right now. Like right now today, you just life is just pushing in against you from every extreme, and you don't understand how a good God would allow this to come into your life. Well, here's what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Amen. That's it right there. Like in everything you do, everywhere you go, every event, every hobby, every function, going to work, just everything we do, it's for the glory of God. And watch how God blesses your life. He's going to bless that. That's obedience. Because Matthew 25, 21, and this is what I long to hear, and I pray you do too. Right here, Matthew 25, 21, his master said to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Is that not going to be an amazing day for those who are truly saved to hear those words? Amen. This life is no more. We're not going to look back on it and go, hey, I want to go back. I can assure you that. If you're in the presence of Jesus, you're not going to come back here. Man, you've been set free. You are finally made whole in His presence. And that's the whole point of why we're so passionate about the Word of God here and the Gospel. We're not here to entertain people, to make people feel good. This is dire straits. Our country is in shambles right now. Our country needs the light of the Gospel like never before. And for those of us that are saved, but pray we will get on mission. Just not talk about it, but begin to go live it. Grab ankles as they're going over the edge. Own the lostness of those streets and those neighbors that we're thinking of right now to go make a difference. Well, verse 8, our final verse, wraps it up, just puts a, a big, big button on it, so to speak. Here's what it says, verse 8, 1 Peter 2. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They, the ones that don't believe, they stumble. Why? Here it is. Because they disobey the Word as they were destined to do. I had someone recently comment, they said, obedience seems very important to you. And I said, yes, it does. And they asked, why? And I said, well, it's very simple. The Bible says so. Whether you're a parent to a child or a parent to another person, so to speak, an individual to another person, or if you're an individual to God, obedience is a direct outflow of a love relationship. When our children don't obey for you parents, there's a breakdown in that understanding of that love relationship. When we disobey spiritually, there's a breakdown vertically of the understanding of the love relationship. Here, Peter just begins to unpack this and, and drill down so, so deeply when he says this, that those who disobey are a stone of stumbling. There, there's a rock of offense there because of Christ, that, that Christ has become that to them. 
that they're, they're stumbling in this. They're offended because Christ is this stone of stumbling. He's this rock of offense. Not everyone that hears the name of Jesus goes, yippee, I'm in, right? I mean, often when people hear the name of Jesus, it's greatly offensive. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. He's light, and men, we walk in darkness away from Christ. So if we love our darkness and He shines light on our darkness, which is going to expose us for the person that really wants to be set free, they go, Jesus, bring your light on me, shine it on me, and set me free. But there's so many people across our country today, they hate Jesus because they love their sin. They don't want to get set free. Why? Because the Bible tells us the God of this world, Satan himself, he blinds the minds. He blinds the minds of those who do not believe to keep them from the truth. He blinds them in their data centers where they make all their decisions. He blinds them. But Jesus goes, man, I want to set you free today. You think through that thought, and and key number three is so, so important. Our final key, here it is. Write this down. Many people are stumbling through life because they are offended by Christ and therefore disobey His Word. Let me say that again. Key number three, write it down. Many people are stumbling through life, just stumbling, because they are offended by Christ and therefore they disobey His Word. You know, so often the real tragedy is not only the sin that we allow into our lives, but the step we take, we begin to rationalize it. We justify it. We respect it, so to speak. No, I think David Platt had a great word on this. And I quote, in a world where everything revolves around yourself, protect yourself, promote yourself, comfort yourself, and take care of yourself, Jesus says, crucify yourself. And that's what the Bible screams. It's the road marked with suffering. It's the narrow way. But it's the road that leads to not being ashamed. It's the road that leads to honor. It's the road that leads to honor, church. Luke 6.46 says it like this, supporting verse. It says, As Jesus speaks, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I mean, Jesus seems a little irritated here, doesn't he? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? But like, why are you gathering? Why are you raising hands, saying prayers, getting baptized? But you won't even do what I'm asking you to do. Because he says further there in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. If you really love me, you'll obey me. The person that claims to be in for Jesus but is living in habitual disobedience without any repentance, that person needs to go back and check their salvation. A truly saved, rescued person who's committed to Jesus will seek to obey. Because we're living in some difficult times. I don't need to tell you that unless you're living under a rock. I mean, it's just insanity what's going on. And this is what happens, by the way, when a culture rebels against the gospel. This is what happens. Well, what does 2 Timothy tell us about this culture and obedience and standing on the cornerstone? Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. Here's what the Word of God says. But understand this, internalize this that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Here we are. Now look at number one on the list. For people will be lovers of self. This is where we live, right? The the land of the free, the home of the brave, the land of the enslaved to sin and to self. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Here we go. Proud. (laughs) Arrogant. Abusive disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, and with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance 
of godliness. Now, now just pause here for a moment. That's quite a list, isn't it? You're going to be around people all the time that I claim Jesus, and they're on the list, and they're living in this, which is not a rescue. It's not transformation. They have this appearance of godliness, but what are they doing? But they're denying its power. See, the gospel has power, amen? The gospel has power today to set me free, to set you free. That if you give your life to Christ today, and it's real, and it's true, His power can overcome this world. There is power in the blood of Jesus, amen? And then he gives Timothy a warning. Three words. Avoid such people. Wow. I know Jesus. And yet all this sin has ensnared their lives and their hearts. They're blinded to it. And Paul says, have nothing to do with them. Do you see, church, are we grasping how important this is to land smack dab on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ? The walls of your life are either going to be like they should be because they're founded on Him, or the walls of your life are going to implode because the reality is you're not founded on Him. Takeaway question, here it is. Do I long to walk daily in total obedience to Christ? Do I long? Is there a longing to walk daily in total obedience to Christ? Is that the cry of your heart and my heart today? Is that the cry, the longing of our heart? I just want to walk in total obedience to you. Jerry Bridges from the book, The Pursuit of Holiness, which I highly recommend, made this statement. Here's what he said, God wants us to walk in obedience, not victory. Huh. Obedience is oriented towards God. Victory is oriented towards self. Victory is a byproduct of obedience. As we concentrate on living an obedient, holy life, we will certainly experience the joy of victory over sin, end quote. See, so many people don't get this. Second Corinthians tells us in chapter 7, verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Church, are we catching this? There's two griefs here. One's godly and it's holy. And there's two producing the godly grief sees our sin against the holy God, and we're just broken to the core. We no longer want to walk in that anymore. We see the grip of sin in our lives. We name it. We don't justify it. We don't rationalize it. We don't blame other people. We just say, this is what it is, and I'm going to turn from it. I want to repent. But there's a worldly grief, and it's feeling bad, and that's it. It's sorry we got caught. There's no heart transformation in the repentance. Repentance is a change of the mind that changes the direction of our life. And we can raise hands and profess and get baptized multiple times. But if our heart has never truly, truly repented, it's all for naught. Do we long, do I long to walk daily? and total obedience to Christ, grieving over my sin, weeping. Not just what I did to hurt someone else, but how I offended God. Imagine what happened all over Chester if you get a group of people that just begin to weep over their sin. Just cut to the heart. God, forgive me my pride. Forgive me my rebellion. Forgive me of who I'm hanging around with. That's not pushing me towards Jesus and I'm believing all their lies. Go on and on, whatever it might look like. Oh God, forgive us. Can you imagine what he's going to do? Can you imagine the revival and the awakening and the reformation that's going to happen? Oh, I long for that day. And so I can't ask you to do what I'm not willing to do. And so for you that have been here, we're giving you the action steps for the third time. And here they are. 
I pray you take it out of your bulletin and keep it somewhere with you. I have five of them. I got them plastered everywhere, so I read these multiple times throughout the day. But if you're really serious about personal holiness, if you really want to see your family and your marriage and your life transformed, if you really want to see this, here it is. Number one from Don Whitney. Question to diagnose our spiritual health. Here it is. Do I thirst for God? If we thirst for God, the natural outflow will be a thirst for the things of God. If you today don't have a thirst for the things of God, like it's really not that big a deal, why would I do that? Prayer? <laughs> why would I do that? Read the Bible? <sighs> i got other things to do. You will thirst for the things of God as an outflow of first thirsting for Him. Number two, Am I governed increasingly by God's Word? Do I submit to God's Word? Do I love God's Word? Do I hunger and thirst? Do I cling to God's Word? Thus saith the Lord. Number three, am I more loving? Am I more loving? As a parent, as a son, a daughter, are we more loving? Number four, am I more sensitive to God's presence? Am I more sensitive to God's presence? Think about this, church. If we really believe that Christ, through His Spirit, indwells the true believer, well, that should put me and you on watch, shouldn't it? If we really believe the Spirit of the living God lives inside of us. Number five, do I have a growing concern for the spiritual and temporal needs of others? Do I have a growing and increasing concern for those things? Number six, do I delight in the bride of Christ? Do I love His church? Jesus Christ is coming back for His church, not His buildings, His people. Like, not do you belong in a church. Not, not are you a member of a church. You can be a member of a church and go to hell. The reality is this, that when you give your life to Christ and it's real, you are now part of His church. Now, we should be involved in a local Bible-believing church, amen? Committed to, serving in, engaged in, yes. He's not coming back for His buildings. He's coming back for His people that truly know Him. My sheep know Me, He says, and my sheep hear My voice. Do you delight in the bride of Christ? Seven, are the spiritual disciplines increasingly important to Me? Again, Prayer, Scripture reading, discipleship. Are these important? Or just, you know what, I'm kind of busy. i got so much going on. I'm glad i got Jesus, though. He can bless my plans. That's just not how this works. Are these disciplines important to me? Number eight, do I still grieve over sin? This one here. And if I and you begin to do this on a daily basis, watch out, here comes the revival. Do we grieve? Are we cut to the heart? Or again, do we just blame everybody else? Pass the buck? It's not repentance. Number nine, am I a quicker forgiver? This is another good one. Am I a quicker forgiver? Just not a forgiver, that's good, but a quicker See, the longer we hold on to bitterness, the longer bitterness holds on to us. And we think we're hurting the other person, and the reality is we're the ones in a self-imposed prison. No, are we releasing people and pardoning them, turning them over to the Lord? God forgave me. He forgave you, the true believer. If you understand truly what that forgiveness cost, if I was to scroll on these screens all my sin over all my years, we'd be here a long time. I have no right to not extend forgiveness, no matter how painful it is. And for the true believer, we should joyfully extend it. Number 10, do I yearn for heaven and to be with Jesus? And the answer for me personally is bring it right now. Bring it right now. I can't wait to be free from this body of death. But while I'm here, I'm going to do everything in my power to preach the gospel. And I pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, many will come to know this Jesus who is called the Christ. Amen? How to not be ashamed. How do you do it? Well, you give your life to Christ.
I pray if you haven't, I pray today will be your day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And Lord, as we lift up your name, we lift up your glory. Holy Spirit, move in this place. Just move with power. Don't allow us to have rebellious hearts. Don't allow us to have stiff necks. Lord, I pray that right now, Holy Spirit, as you're moving, that you're in me, in us, you're cultivating soft, tender hearts. Hearts that love the gospel. Hearts that love people. Hearts that hate sin in our own lives especially. Hearts that love discipleship. Hearts that love obedience. Lord, on and on we could go. Oh, Holy Spirit, move in this place today. Whatever schemes the enemy is trying to develop at this very moment, God, we pray against those, his lies, his deceptions. Expose, Lord, expose his lies. Expose his deceptions. Help us to see clearly the light so that we never walk in the darkness. Oh, Father, I pray for the one who's never given their life to you through Jesus. I pray right now will be the moment of salvation. Perhaps someone who's been in church a long, long time, and yet the reality is they've never truly given their life to you. Oh, Father, will you move in this place? Move. We're praying passionately for a mighty move of you. God, whatever you want us to do right now, help us to be obedient. To no longer surrender some, but to surrender all. God, we love you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity for those who are truly saved here today to to actually rejoice in the suffering, to rejoice in the rejection, to rejoice in the actions of others that do not give you glory as we are defamed and despised. Lord, we rejoice because your word tells us, blessed are you, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you for my namesake. For great is your reward in heaven. We stand on your word today. We're anchored to the chief cornerstone, Jesus. We know we'll never be ashamed, never be embarrassed or humiliated. Never be embarrassed nor humiliated as we surrender all to Jesus. Oh God, move right now in this time. May we respond in total obedience, total repentance, total contrition. Oh Lord, we love you. We worship you now. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.